everyone, and welcome to the 46th episode of Slime Time, the official Dragon Quest Dragon's Den podcast. This is Platyam 3 And this is Liam Land. So this episode, we're going to be talking about some Dragon Quest literature. And I have to say, as a student of literary criticism, I'm looking forward to discussing our interpretations from a pragmatic, psychological, and theoretical perspective. Uh-huh. Sure. Is that even right? Yes. Uh, I believe it was the Elizabethan author uh, Shaka Spire who once said... Um, whoa, 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 whoa. Excuse me. Who? You're talking Shakespeare, right? Well, well, no. Shaka Spire. Have you not heard of him? No, 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 no. Hold, hold on. Hold on. Step back. It's Shakespeare. Always has been. Always will be. Shakespeare, right? <laughs> well, well I've, I've never known him to go by that name, but they, they do say Shaka Spire may not have written all of his plays. Uh, I don't think Shaka Spire wrote any plays. But, you know, that's that's beside this point, because we're, we're not going that by, far in a literary criticism. Um, we'll just cut this short and say we're going to focus on Dragon Quest literature. Um, hopefully, like, 20th century stuff. Um because, you know, we, we don't need to get into the old stuff. Wisdom comes with fewer words. Ah, uh, yes. I believe the Greek philosopher Testicles once said that. Mm-hmm. Sure he did. And on that note, um, don't got Testicles tonight. But we do have a couple guests with us. We have Alexi and Hiru. Welcome to the party. It's so nice to be here with you today. Likewise. Excellent. Yes. Sorry. Yes. Likewise. It's a pleasure to be here. Good. I, I, we're excited to have you that, here today. I mean, we're recording from uh, three different continents, although I think, uh, Liam, we've gotten used to that over the past year. Um, <laughs> but it's always pretty <laughs> It's always pretty exciting that uh, we're all over the place. Love of Dragon Quest knows no, uh, no continent. Yeah, yeah. Correct. And we're going to show that it show it also knows no bounds on formats either, because we're not talking about a game. I think we've talked about plenty of translations of games, but we've never done this before. Because uh, today on Slime Time, we're going to be talking about two ambitious translation efforts. We've got Dragon Quest, Item Monogatari, um, specifically the chapter on the Sword of Kings, and The Legend of Rubis, Volume 1, in a distant Eden. But before we start getting specifically into those pieces of literature, let's get to know our guests. And Alexi, we'll start with you first and kind of flip-flop between you guys on these uh, questions that we have here. Alexi, we were joking before the podcast. We've got you as Louis McDuck. We've got you as Ziggy <laughs> on the den. <laughs> Hero was saying there's probably you're known as everything everywhere. What's with your username, <laughs> usernames? Um, anywhere else you lurk around with other uh, names or identities? Yes, actually. Um, <laughs> I, uh, on the French um, website, Dragon Quest Fan, I'm known as Dark Will Alex, which is the, um, the pseudonym I had, I had on a French MMO uh, a while, while back, uh, Dofus, for those who might know it. Um, Louis McDuck is maybe, I think, the latest one I got, uh, which I took soon after I finished watching the um, the newest version of DuckTales. Xigi is from Xigbar, because I was once a Kingdom Hearts fan, and uh, Xigbar was my favorite of them all. And uh, which one is the last one again? 
Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, Gumball Bunny Bird. He's a um, boss from The Amazing World of Gumball, which I absolutely adore, and also from uh, Adventure Time. It's the, um, the gender bender version of uh, uh, Princess Bubblegum, if I'm not mistaken. That's quite the collection. <laughs> he actually hey, has it, an explanation for each one of them. He does. That's always. <laughs> every now and then, usually we get people like, I don't know, it was a bunch of letters. It was back, <laughs> you know, in 1997. We were on AOL, and that's what fits. So, <laughs> so Hero, what about you? No, mine hasn't really a story behind it. It's just the shortened version of um, a sentence. Hero no, she just means midday star. That's it. Nice. Cool. So, uh, how did you originally get into uh, the Dragon Quest series? So, I've been lucky enough to have Dragon Quest Three as my first proper experience with the series. And I say lucky enough because I'm sure you're aware of it, but here in Europe we didn't get most of the games released until they actually decided to promote the series with the advent of Dragon Quest VIII for, on PlayStation 2 back in 2006, I believe. Mm-hmm. And the version I played was the Game Boy One, which I loved bits and still treasure as one of the greatest games I've ever played, honestly. Awesome. Then I had to wait until Dragon Quest VIII was out to actually being able to double dip. <laughs> I, loved, <laughs> I loved that one as well. Decided to play all of them, uh, thanks to the remakes on Nintendo DS following the release soon after. And that's also when I really started falling in love with the mood of the localization work for Dragon Quest, the the quirkiness, the dialects, the the humor, the balance between all these elements. It was just so unique and incredibly appealing to me. Hmm. It How about you here? has its uniqueness. Yeah, definitely. So, Lexi, how did you get into the Dragon Quest series? Uh, well, my first memory of Dragon Quest in France was uh, the eighth one on PlayStation 2, which I used to, to watch a, a friend playing it. Uh, when I whenever I went to his home, and because I didn't have a PlayStation 2, I had to wait uh, for Dragon Quest IV uh, on on the DS to to buy it. Mm-hmm. And uh, which what surprises me is that um, I actually had Dragon Quest uh, four, five, six, um, nine, and Joker on my shelves at home, and I had to wait uh, for Dragon Quest Builders one to be released to really get inside Dragon, into Dragon Quest and to kind of binge play them all, uh, at least all those I could play. And uh, yes, I'd say I really went, got into Dragon Quest with the builders. Cool. All right. Well, we'll stay with you, Alexi. Kind of keep keep flip-flopping here. Um, What would you say is your favorite games in the series, both mainline and the spinoffs? What are a couple of your favorites? Well, that's easy. Favorite game, uh, Dragon Quest game, is uh, the seventh on mostly the 3DS one because I haven't played yet the PSX version. And my favorite uh, spin-off might be just Builders 2. I, I'll tell you what, I seven's up there on my list, and Builders 2 is one heck of a game. That is a... Yep. It, 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 especially you guys are on the Discord with us, and that is something that we have a lot of... We have a lot of people that do some creative stuff mm-hmm. with that. So, here. What are some of your favorite games? What are your uh, favorite spin-offs if you played? I actually warned you about asking me this question if you remember. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> we got time. 
So I find it really difficult to give you a proper answer because I know for sure my top picks are Dragon Quest 3, 10 and 11, but the way I actually rank them changes almost on a daily basis. Like mm-hmm. today, today I might tell you Dragon Quest 3 deserves to be my favorite entry overall because of what it stands for on a personal level, the improvements for the series that came with it, and also the inspiration for other series that came much later and I share some ties with, like Etrian Odyssey would be one, just to name one, that I'm very Woo! close to. You like it? Oh, I've played them all, yes. Ah, uh, that I... makes me so happy. I'm I'm excited that uh, Shin, Shin Megami Tensei Five is coming out because don't, don't even mention it. <laughs> like, that director really? was one of the director for that game has been doing Etrian Odyssey for a while. Yes, so yes. Maybe he's freed up to go back and we'll get another Etrian Odyssey now. I really hope so. I mean, I know there's other people that work on that game too, but it's kind of interesting how he's doing that, and we haven't had an Etrian Odyssey in three years in a or so. very long time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So, um, so uh, sorry. Go ahead, Brady. Oh nope! I was gonna say go right ahead. Um, do do you, do you guys have any uh, any favorite or least favorite characters or monsters? Uh, Hero, let's start with you. As far as characters are concerned, well. Serena is probably an obvious one, I think. <laughs> I I just love their personal journey throughout the game. She mm-hmm. felt very relatable as, quote-unquote, the slow, the slow one who is unable to catch up with the prodigy in the family mm-hmm. and then ends up realizing that maybe she has to follow her own path in life. So she becomes this very strong, reliable person, and that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Also, Silvando is... a an incredible character, especially the Silvando that is portrayed by Shai Matthewson. I feel it just owns the part of Silvando, honestly. Mm. Yeah, most definitely. Um, so, in terms of Serena, are you an uh, uh, an Act One and Three Serena hair or Act Two Serena hair person? Oof. I would go for Act One, maybe. Mm. <laughs> Seems about right. Yeah, L- long right. hair owns. Long hair. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I are both short hair Serena fans. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Oh, no? I, no, thought, I, like, the, oh, I like the skill load out of Act 2. Okay, all right. Uh, throw that out. <laughs> yeah. Okay, all right. So you're you're talking, you're talking uh, like, sage powers. Mm-hmm. Not yes. specifically hair. Okay. <laughs> all right, Alexi, how about you? Make sure that got clear there. <laughs> okay, all right. Sorry. Sorry, I was probably talking over it. Alexi, what are your uh, favorite characters or monsters? Um, oh, monsters, I'd say that I absolutely love the entire uh, Restless Armor family, because I think there's some something really um, charming and a bit haunting about them. Like, mm-hmm. empty armors walking around. Uh, yeah, it's nice. Uh, kind of love also the fencing fox, I think they're called in English. The, yes. the one looks like Mousquetaires. Uh, as for favorite or least favorite characters, uh, I'd say I, I really love most of the cast from Dragon Quest VI. Uh, I absolutely love Alina, of course, from Dragon Quest IV, an obvious choice, I think. Uh, I I think my personal favorite might be Maribel from the seventh game. And my least favorite characters, uh, I think, is Angelo from the eighth. 
Ah, uh, yeah, I can see that. He's uh, he, he he's not written as a very uh good guy for quite a bit of it. He's got some character growth near the middle and end, but uh, no, he he's definitely quite the jerk. Quite a bit of that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we'll start again with you, Alexi. Here, okay. what are some of the fa- favorite mechanics that you like in Dragon Quest games? What keeps you bringing bringing you back? Is it like monster collecting, job classes, casinos, or pretty much anything else? Building. Mm-hmm. What are the things that you really enjoy in your Dragon Quest? Uh, I'd say job classes. Uh, again, I used to be a huge Final Fantasy fan, and I absolutely love Final Fantasy Tactics. The, and I wish Dragon Quest Tact had more of this aspect of the, the tactical aspect of the game. Uh, but yes, I, I love the job classes and um, the way you can, you know, uh, kind of mix them all together. Monster mm-hmm. uh, Connecting is nice, but uh, mostly in um, Dragon Quest V, for me, it kind of took away uh, place and development for characters, like, I, I think. And um, monster collecting is nice in the Monsters game, to me. Mm-hmm. As for casinos, I never had any luck in any of them, so I tried to... <laughs> yeah, well, for real, I've been playing well, since the 4th on DS, and I can remember for sure that I never had any uh, actual jackpot with all the seven uh, in a row. And, and, yeah, I just stopped at some point. I gave up. <laughs> uh, uh, that's probably for the best. <laughs> yes. If, if it isn't coming, it's all right. You, you, there's plenty of other weapons and stuff you can buy everywhere else. <laughs> all right. Uh, Hiru, what about you? What are your favorite things about Dragon Quest games? Yeah, that's interesting because I... For one second, um, the opinion on the, jobs, on the job and class system... And this might sound like some sort of a confession. Anyone who knows me, I feel makes fun of me for the prowess and science I usually boast when it comes to the casino. <laughs> like, I really love the casino as much as Yuji Ori loves the casino. And whenever I reach it, I usually stop caring about the game plot for like five to ten hours easy. <laughs> <laughs> but by the way, fun fact, Dragon Quest X actually gave me the opportunity to prove my point about winning formulas being a thing, because it features the only casino in the series where you cannot reload your save state, so you need to know your stuff before you actually go all in. You know what? That's what kept me from doing it a year, about a year and a half ago when I played Dragon Quest X in May of last year. I went in there and I was going to like do one or two of the things. And that thought occurred to me like, oh, my gosh, if I lose, this is it. I can't yeah. <laughs> I can't hit reset. And I was like, mm, I'm, I'm just trying to finish up version one. I'm not going to I'm not going to risk it. <laughs> I used to I used to abuse abuse the autosave on that, though, because you could at least like right before you walk in um, and depending on the the casino, if it's uh, I think it's the if it's the one in um Part of Valor, then you have like a long hallway to walk down. But like, mm-hmm. hold on, you're thinking of eleven. Oh, I'm sorry. Were you which you weren't talking about eleven? Ten. Oh, all right. Yeah, never mind. I'll I'll stop talking now. <laughs> <laughs> so, what are some of the what are some of the mechanics here that you've seen in ten that work? The casino there. Honestly, the um, Sugoroku, the game of the goose kind of Itadaki Street game uh, that is featured mm-hmm. in the Dragon Quest X Casino might be my favorite mini game in Dragon Quest ever. 
it is just so addicting. The fact you can play it with other people as well, so you you're kind of playing uh, a mini adventure inside your own adventure, and you need to go to the boss tile, and who who knows you might you might be able to beat it and get some sweet rewards, or maybe you're not even gonna reach it and you're falling behind at half point. That's so much fun, seriously. Uh, I can see that. They put that into theater rhythm and oh, oh my gosh, I it's in that game. It's act, it's one of the three gameplay styles that you can do. Um, there's one that's just open. You can pretty much play any song anytime. There's another one where you're kind of uh, building onto a board. It's got all 10 games going horizontally and you can build up. Um, you know, if you do the first Dragon Quest 10 song, then you can do the second, then you can do the third and the fourth and the fifth. Um, but then the third gameplay mode is completely the game you're talking about. And, oh my gosh, just going around the board. And it, it's it's more of like the Dragon Quest 3 version of it. That, that game honestly sounds like, like so much fun. I, I never had the chance to properly uh, play it, but uh, a friend of mine actually has some success with it. And I think I should be able to play it sometime in a while too. I mean, I played it knowing no Japanese, so I'm sure you'd get... <laughs> you, you would do a little bit better than me. <laughs> but no, it, it was fun. I mean, I I beat, I guess, beat the game in a little, like, seven or eight hours, but I went back and I just kept playing those boards because I, I don't even know how many there were. I want to say I was on number 15, but every time you unlock one, you unlock the ones, like, three under it, so I know there's, like, at least 18 boards. I, I need to get back to that and just see how many boards they have. <laughs> Yeah, it, it does. It does sound addicting, just as I would expect it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, have you ever worked on any translations before uh, these, either either uh, games, manga, or novels? Um, here, let's start with you. Okay, I think most of the Dragon Quest community actually knows me more for the work I did on Dragon Quest Rivals over the past three years or so. And that was actually a completely different experience from the Ruby's novel. And I'm very happy that I, I got to do both of them. The translation work for Rivals was very rigid, systematic even. You needed to establish your own keywords, your fixed expressions like um, upon defeat, X effect happens, or when this card returns to your end, uh, you do X, Y, Z. And keep in mind everything you worked on previously whenever a new set came out and because you need to avoid contradiction between new effects and old ones, of course. And however, when when it comes to novelization, you need to identify a certain narrative flow, you know. There is no uninterrupted exchange for the most part and the third person narration is just as important as the direct speech that's going on because it gives you both context and flavor. And this just doesn't exist in Rivals because it's mm -hmm. rival, rival. Translating Rivals was like doing math, but with words instead of numbers. Hmm. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I, obviously those cards are very stilted in what they have. And like you said, it's a, it's a sentence here, a couple fra word phrase there compared to thousands of words and a big overarching yeah, it, theme it's, story. It's a completely mm -hmm. different experience, yeah. Cool. Uh, Alexi, how about you? Um, well, what might be a bit of a stretch, but for my uh, master's degree, I had to, trans to translate, uh, like it was two or three pages of a, of a book, if I remember correctly. 
and I know I worked on um, some a passage at the end of uh, the novel Lung Barrow, a Doctor Who novel, novel by Mark Platt, and uh, I think that's the the thing that made me think, hey, that's nice, and that's something that I I should like to try doing more often. But that's about nice. it. Nice, awesome. All right, so that's a little bit about our guests tonight. We're going to obviously hear a lot more from them, um, and especially Alexi right away, because we're going to talk this collection, this Dragon Quest item, Monogatari, and specifically the Sword of Kings chapter that um, he translated for the fan community. Um, And we'll start with that, and I'm going to just, Alexi, as spoiler-free as possible, um, would you be able to summarize the story from the Sword of Kings? Uh, sure. It's spoiler free. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's a story which actually takes place some time. Uh, I don't know how long exactly, but after the um, the novel that Hiro is translating, mm-hmm. um, and it features a certain character from this no- novel, and uh, it's humanity facing the consequences of their greedy actions in the Dragon Quest universe. Mm-hmm. Have you read the novel that uh, Hero is working on? Started it, uh, but uh, I haven't finished it yet, and I'm sorry for that, okay. Hero. It's on my to-do list, <laughs> for sure. Uh, I'm facing on doing that as soon as I can. Mm. Yeah, there there are definitely different perspectives on uh, on on Rubus uh, and different times um, as well. Um, so, what what inspired you most about these stories to take on on this particular project? Um, well, I think I, I got interested in that because, uh, to begin with, it was short. It's it's like uh, I don't know, fifteen pages long worth of text at least. And um, the, the the size made me think that that's something I could do that wouldn't take too long. I would see the, the end quickly. Uh, but other than that, is because well, as I said earlier, I use um, I really got into Dragon Quest with uh, builders, in which Rubis is uh, maybe the, the second most important character of the game. And seeing a, a story taking place well, a long, long time ago. And having elements like the, the the new empire, which is something that we also had in France and uh, I think in Italy as well, in the um, Emblem of Roto manga, mm-hmm. Which, mm-hmm. which also features the the, this, the fall of new new mm-hmm. And uh, it was interesting to me to to see the um, the parallels, the differences, and the um, the similarities between these two uh, these two narratives. Oh yeah, there's definitely uh, yeah. Flipping back through it a little bit today, because I'd read your chapter a while back, and today finished up the uh, first part of the novel. Um, that I was like, oh yeah, this was mentioned in the item on a guitar. Oh yeah, this was too. Mm-hmm. So interesting. How many chapters are in the book that uh, you're getting these from? Um, I think there's twelve of them, and I'm working okay. on. Sorry, yeah. So, uh, do you think long term you're gonna do all twelve? Not uh, uh, um, in the end, yes. Not. But oh, okay. I don't think I will do them all um, at once or in the correct order. 
because uh, I recently found out that there's another book, uh, Monsters Monogatari, which actually has some chapters happening before and or after chapters from Item Monogatari. And, uh, oh, wow. I, yep. I, I think I might be switching from one book to the other every now and then. Interesting. Well, we'll have to get your take on the uh, the read order for the Monogatari verse. <laughs> Um, so, are there are, are there any challenges you had to overcome while translating the Sword of Kings? Yes, uh, one major one, I think, uh, which he may not have had because he actually studied Japanese, which I haven't. Uh, I don't. Uh, I don't. I, I can't read it. I don't understand squat about it. However, it was uh, something that I was uh, something that I wanted to to try for a long time now. It's the um, OCR, I think, um, the text extraction uh, applications and, and devices. Because uh, in the um, in the master I did, uh, we have all the, this this class lessons about how the translation work was going to evolve over the years because of uh, you know AI and stuff like that doing more and more of the work. Mm -hmm. And so it was interesting in that um, in in this case to see how uh, a mix of Depot for the most part and of Google Translation for more maybe more specific words uh, could come in hand trying to understand something that um, I otherwise wouldn't have been able to. But I was also lucky to have uh, some kind of background thanks to um, Amemo Frotto when it came to certain events or characters. And I was, of, of course, really lucky to um, also have joined the, the Discord server with, uh, in which Hiru is, uh, is too, because I was able to, um, to have some of the translation, you know, um, uh, verified in a way. And I, I could, um, I got to ask uh, people who, who are. People who, who learn Japanese, who, who studies Japanese, to um, to guide me and to give me uh, really good feedbacks on word meanings and uh, interpretations, possibly of these things. Also, there were also there were pictures, and, uh, <laughs> which helped a lot. Yeah, it's actually so useful to have yeah. people you can ask help for, yeah. or even if you don't really need help. Um, because you maybe you know uh, both languages, you just ask for an opinion on a, a specific translation, uh, a term, um, a sentence, a the flavor it has. Because it, it it's not really mechanical. It it has to it has to have a soul. If you you get what I mean. Yeah. I yeah. I, there's a lot of times I know. Just yesterday, I was making a bunch of perler bead art, and mm -hmm. I kept. I just kept firing off pictures um, to a Discord where I knew I had a couple of friends that were fans of the same football team because I was trying to make ones for my football team. And I was like, should I do the arm this way? Should I do the numbering that way? You know, at the end of the day, I still picked what I wanted. But I, yeah, just that firing off and having someone to listen and discuss that with. Yeah, it's it's nice to hear the opinion mm -hmm. of others. Yeah. So, Alexi, we understand you are almost done with the next chapter um, that you're translating. And you may, for those of you listening, if uh, it's into September of 2021, it might be out there soon. 
what's the next chapter that you've got almost complete? And can you tell anything us anything about it? Yes, sure. Um, so I'm working now on the eleventh chapter of Item Monogatari, uh, which is about the armor of Erdrich. Okay. Uh, it's what's good. What's uh, convenient about Item Monogatari is that it's, each chapter is uh, independent. They are not uh, coming in a you know um, chronological order. So uh, mm-hmm. I get to pick those I really like the most first. And this one is about uh, an item of Erdrich, which is a um, you know, which is part of the myth of in a, in a way of Dragon Quest. And um, well, the eleventh, what I can say is that it takes place some time, not too long, uh, before Dragon Quest One, and. Uh, and that's it. The French, okay. the French translation is over, and I've started working on the, the English translation now, uh, which should be much, much faster. Awesome. Um, so so uh, you start off with the French version, and then you already have kind of a sense of, of, uh, of what the translation is, and you're, easily, you're able to more easily translate it into English? Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Um, so, so I, I, uh, I noticed that there's a Hobbit in this. Um, now, is that a direct translation, or was that some kind of uh, uh, Tolkien-inspired ad-libbing? Um, no, I was surprised, actually, to see that it was an, an actual name used. Um, I think it was Obito, uh, mm. something like that, I, I suppose it could sound. But yeah, it was written uh, Obito. Huh, interesting. Yeah, because I, I have not seen Hobbit used very much, uh, uh, if at all, in the games. If I, I'm just, Platy, do you remember if you've seen that before? I mean, there's dwarves. Yeah, I think would be the closest, but like a true halfling or something, not really. Right. Yeah. No, I just thought that was interesting because um, we hadn't really seen that before um, in in many of the games. Yeah, ten is probably the closest you have with uh, elves. Uh, dwarves and ogres and etc. Mm-hmm. That's a very Dungeons and Dragon esque setting. Mm-hmm. Mm. I thought there was one in Dragon Quest Three, maybe uh, maybe the um, the one living in the mountain. Uh, I think uh, soon after or before the uh, the paper quest. I think or maybe it's in the fourth Dragon Quest. Okay. I can't. I don't can't remember. Yeah, I don't. I don't really remember either. But I'd have to go back and 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 kind of keep an eye out for something like that. Mm. Um, so what, why don't we review what we uh, what we found uh, interesting about these? Uh, Platy, you want to go first? Yes. So I know, um, Alexi, you made the decision to include the official artwork with the piece, um, and I've seen Hiru mention it somewhere else. Why he didn't? But was there any ever any doubt with you about including the artwork from like a copyright standpoint? Uh, actually, I never thought about that. <laughs> <laughs> that that's fair, yeah. I, am, I hope I won't get into trouble with that. Uh, but um, I I don't know actually. I, I found the the the, the book on um, it was archive.org, I think. And I assume that because it's you know available on the, on the net, it's maybe not free to use, but somehow in a gray area, you know, uh, things I'm not making any money out of it. 
worst case scenario, I'll get uh, I'll get a season disease from Dragon from Squirrelix. I don't know how it works. <laughs> Uh, I, I think there's a lot of other people using a lot of other stuff. I, we're probably we would probably get nailed for the music on our podcast before that. <laughs> but okay, no, I, it was just uh, I know we'll ask uh, Hero about that too um, on his, but that was just something. It also it added a little context to uh, some of the scenes, like you had said. It's yeah so um i i I liked how it it talks about like an ancient pre guard people uh the the mu or the mu um and uh uh, both books are actually pretty reminiscent of greek mythology in particular this one uh the item monogatari was uh uh uh, the most glaring with like was with the arguments and politics of the gods as they plan to negotiate and and potentially wipe out the the mu people and rebuild the land um and just that that in, in the uh interaction and negotiation between the gods uh was very very much uh a greek mythology inspired um i also loved how like 80s manga the artwork looked uh <laughs> with full-on unap- unapologetic cleavage in nearly every picture yeah <laughs> i don't think those outfits are very supportive at all <laughs> oh, the 90s <laughs> oh, was this 90s? Oh, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, well, Alexi, anything else you want to say about your uh, translation efforts or upcoming or anything about Item Monogatari? Um, maybe something, one thing about Item Monogatari that I found out, uh, not again, not too long ago, and again, might fall in within the Monogatari uh, <laughs> verse, because I, I found out that uh, there's um, another Enix game called uh, 46 Okunen Monogatari, which is uh, a game which I definitely plan on, on playing because there's, I think, um, an English fan translation of that of this game. And what I found is that, um, well, first of all, um, there's the Dragon Quest Overture in the game at some point. If you oh. do some action against some a, a very specific enemy, which is uh, like a dinosaur plays music. Uh, but there also, there's also characters uh, which have the exact same, um, uh, how could I say, design and a face um, than characters from uh, the characters that appears in um, the Sword of Kings chapter, mm-hmm. mostly um, Gaia. And I, I think someone we see at the very, very, very end is a like a, I think a lady with horns and a, yes, this game. But yeah, it, it was just interesting. I, I suppose it's just the same artist, but uh, seeing uh, or both uh, Mitra look alike, uh, the lady at the end look alike, the old Dragon Virtual, but also one of the ending of the of the game has the, the character evolving through time and becoming kind of a uh, bubble slime uh, in a, in a dungeon-esque uh, setting with characters, well, who could, I don't know, in a way, who do like pretty um, fantasy-like, fantasy-ish kind of Dragon Quest. Mm-hmm. I, I found it interesting. That is pretty interesting. I, I'm going to put a link to this on our show notes because I just um, I, I found a little article about it and I can see the pictures. Uh, I can see Gaia and um, yeah. they named this one Lucifer. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it calls it 
um, the article I'm reading calls it sort of a vampire Marilyn Monroe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> With the blonde hair, like the little image I found, it does look like that. And yeah, there's spacefaring elf civilizations and I threw some so I I threw some pictures in our uh, Skype chat here, but at the same time I'll put a link to this article in our show notes. So for those of you listening along at home, um, if you want to check out that game that Alexi just talked about, you can. All right, Liam, should we uh, move over to sure, a little yeah, bit earlier in the uh, DQ Universe timeline? Yeah, let's talk about the Legend of Rubus. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> uh, and here we'll we'll have you start off um, in as spoiler free as possible, um, kind of summarizing this this section of it. I know for those of you that haven't looked at either of these, um, the item monogatari item monogatari um, was one chapter of a larger volume and it was about 15 pages 16 pages um the legends of rubis part one here in a distant eden is about 170 pages <laughs> yeah so, it's uh, nothing it's nothing <laughs> it's nothing it, yeah. so you don't don't you don't have to get into all the characters or anything but just kind of an overview what does this uh first part what is it about mm-hmm. okay I might go off on a tangent, so if you have to stop me because of time constraints, feel free to do it. But I feel it's very important to establish the source material before we talk about the the story itself. So if it's okay with you, I'm going to give you a brief introduction on the background before we move on the real summary. Okay, so the novel I'm working on is known in Japan as Sere Rubis Densetsu, literally meaning the legend of the spirit rubies. Sere Rubis is the way the Japanese canon always refers to the the character ever since her first appearance in the games. And I think that's important to keep in mind because the the world building for this whole story, the whole premise, is heavily based on the fact that before acquiring her goddess nature, Rubis was just a young girl and a part of a society of spirits, which might surprise a lot of people who just played the games. Did you know that? I had no clue. Yeah, all I knew about her was she was the spirit in a few different games that, you know, comes in and guides you along, brings you back to life and uh, Builders 1 yeah, they, sets you off. They really go heavy on this spirit. It's it's almost like a title, like you, um, for example, Zoma goes like uh, Daimaho Zoma in Japanese, the great demon lord Zoma. And that's how they always refer to him because uh, they want to emphasize the fact that he's a demon lord among demon lords. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that there's more than one out there, but we're yeah, talking about exactly. the, big, the big guy here. So the novel was published in the early 90s by Enix as part of a series of novels based on Dragon Quest material. I think they cover up to Dragon Quest Seven, if memory serves. And this one specifically was written by Saori Kumi, who also served as the novelist for the second trilogy arc, so four, five, and six. And mm-hmm. she was the one who gave names to some of the main characters, like um, Ryuka for Dragon Quest for the Dragon Quest Five protagonist, who later became Luca in the Dragon Quest Your Story localization. So she has some kind of a legacy that still lingers in the Dragon Quest universe. Okay. 
about the story itself, it is it is very unique in nature because when it was first released, Enix uh, specifically stated that the events were canon to the first trilogy and no matter how you slice it, that's a very big, bold statement in the grand <laughs> scheme of things because it's actually the same approach they're taking nowadays with titles like um, Final Fantasy VII or Nier, when you have these novels giving you uh, additional side information that is deemed canon to the main story, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. So, about the plot itself, we have uh, three volumes. Uh, it goes without saying that the first one serves as the introduction for all the characters you're going to spend time with. And there are many of them, because the story doesn't really focus on rubies all that much. You get like the first 40, 50 pages establishing her status. She's just a 15-year-old girl who longs for freedom. But she's stuck in this political system that makes it impossible to grant her wish, basically. Then she takes part in what I can only describe as a fateful encounter that takes place during a, the town festival. And from there, the story perspective shifts continuously, presenting new character after new character and follows different portions of, of the story throughout their eyes. So the main question you have reading this is just, will Rubies be able to escape these chains? And since you actually already know the end game of her journey, uh, what, how will... I wish she become the goddess you are familiar with from the games. That's basically the plot line. Okay. Yeah, I did notice that, that while reading it, yeah, it starts out very Rubus heavy, and then you go many, many dozens of pages without even hearing of her again. Yeah, you you literally got the book of Genesis after the Rubis portion yeah. of the story. <laughs> Um, I so didn't what, realize it, until the end that there was you had a little you had your own little appendix with describing who who these characters were. And I was like, oh man, I should have should have flip flap and fork oh, back the, and forth the, between the that stuff, a little the bit stuff more. At the very end, yeah, 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 yeah. Just a sentence or two about a lot of the main characters. Um, so, so what inspired you most about this novel to take on the project? So back in February, I think it was, I acquired all the physical copies of the Dragon Quest novels mainly because of collection purposes. I wasn't really thinking of doing of doing anything aside from reading them, I'll be honest. <laughs> and I was interested in making the Rubies novel specifically a possible pet project of mine, but at the time I was still very busy with Dragon Quest Rivals. The the announcement for the game ending its service would come the following month, I think. And I still had this very tight schedule with one main card set about to be released, then two more on their way, summer events, character skin guides. It was just impossible of, to think of doing them simultaneously. Then March came, and with it, the news that Rivals was about to end. <laughs> so I, I wasn't necessarily sad about this. I told to my friends, and they won't believe me. I don't know why. <laughs> but <laughs> my, my first thought was actually, whoa, now I'm going to have some unexpected free time on my hands. What can I do with it? And I see the, the first volume of the Rubies novel sitting on my desk, and you can probably imagine the rest. <laughs> <laughs> well, lucky for us, <laughs> Rivals was gone, so <laughs> gave you some free time. Um, so yours is 
it's not as broken down as Ida Monogatari with separate stories. These are all stories that will be part of a greater narrative and are yes. part of a greater narrative. Um, I, I know I saw somewhere either on one of the discords or maybe at a note at the beginning or maybe just in talking to you before online, you made the decision not to include the official artwork with the piece for copyright reasons. You were just like, oh, that maybe this will keep me completely out of trouble or whatever. Um, how, how much art was actually in there, though? So since this, this is actually a light novel, so it features about one piece of artwork every 20 pages or so. There is a okay. lot of art, oh, uh, wow. pl plus the covers, uh, and it's all from a very famous artist as well. So I was very scared of using them. And mm -hmm. I, I actually opted to uh, commission a, a new cover uh, for the first volume and for the two volumes that will come as well. And not include the inside art in the um, in the main text okay yeah i'm looking at the cover right now and you commissioned that yeah oh that's that's really oh, cool interesting. Hmm. Um, so, looking down on the festival there yeah i i really wanted to convey the the first portion of the story throughout the the cover of the book i i really wanted to give it the the feeling of an old narrative book mm-hmm so who who was the artist that you commissioned for that? Uh, she goes by the name of Miracle Gummy on Twitter, and you can probably uh, check her profile out because she's one of the very few people I follow on on the social media platform. So if you should be able to find that pretty easy. Okay. Um, so uh, I I noticed as I was reading this that sometimes you know with the dialogue and everything you'll have. Um, just uh, quotes uh, that that kind of go back and forth, mm -hmm. um, and some of it is unattributed. Um, so I had a little bit of trouble following who was speaking. Um, was I was curious to see if that was a stylistic choice to leave many of the quotes unattributed, or was that a a, a, a literal translation? You could say it's. Both of them, actually. It was my first time working on um, a novel, so I did a lot of research before even begin work, work approaching the translation process. And the original script foregoes, like you've mentioned, the attribution in order to explain who is the one talking in the very next paragraph, uh, which is a very common trait in Japanese light novels that puts this media right between um, a full-fledged book story and a free article script. So I kind of wanted to keep that feeling in my translation as well, since the um, direct speech going on is never on a level so convoluted that it, it, you can lose track of who's talking. It's very fast-paced for the most part. Mm. Unfortunately, the way the Japanese language works, said structure felt a little bit too stiff to be used in, in an English environment, so I had to rework in, in, the whole thing in order to sound more natural. Hmm. Interesting. Um, yeah, it, it definitely takes some getting used to when you're first starting out reading, and then it just becomes kind of like a natural flow of the novel. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, I mean, that was definitely part of it, and such a large cast of characters. <laughs> Um, I think uh, I'll jump ahead right here for one other something I noticed about it. Um, but this is almost like similar to reading one of the appendices um, that Tolkien had, because you, you don't have slimes in here. You don't have Erdrich. You don't have all the 
things that when you think of Dragon Quest, you really are like, oh, this is what would be in a Dragon Quest novel, right? All the monsters, all the um, maybe some one or two of the heroes or something. Uh, but you're talking way in the past. And it while it's Rubus, there's really nothing else when you're reading it that screams Dragon Quest at you. Um, yeah. But yeah. yeah. But I mean, like I said, just like picking a random appendice from Tolkien you know, you don't have Bilbo or Frodo or anything in those either. So it's it's that what makes up the lore of the game, which there is pretty are, cool. There, I mean, yeah, 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 of course. There are very few familiar faces in the story, but that actually has its own meaning. Uh, the more you go deep into the story itself. We'll have to await that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I now I will ask the question that was uh, next on our list here. So what took you longer, doing 170 pages of this first one? <laughs> or all the rival cards you awesomely let Woodus put up on the uh, den? Mm, I would say the rival's cards took way more time. It's all right. I'm, sorry. It, it, I'm, it, I'm guessing both are countless. I wouldn't even ask you to put a number there. <laughs> but, okay. That, that was my joke question. Go ahead, Liam. <laughs> nice. Uh, well, I, I wanted to review what we found interesting about this one as we did uh, with uh, item Monogatari. But, uh, Platy, you kind of uh, touched on um, your, your interpretation of, of this as almost like an appendices from Lord of the Rings. Um, do you have anything else you wanted to mention about it? Oh, sorry, me? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was actually looking at the cover art again. I was just, I had my iPad out and I was trying to like look at little details in the cover art. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> no, I'm good. I'm good. You can go on. Uh, I, I, right. I read, I, I did get to the end and yeah, like I said, I found the names at the end. I was like, oh man, I know I actually fast forwarded to the end at one point to read um, Hero, you've got a bunch of notes there, some translation notes. And I'd read them, I think, even before, or some of them before, but then I missed backing up like six pages and seeing the cast of characters. Um, when you release your next part, that's something I probably will like print out and like have next to <laughs> The perspective, because the perspective changes a lot. Like this, this is setting up everybody, as you said. It's you know, yes, it's mainly Rubus's story, but there's a lot of characters that each get like almost eight, ten pages in a chapter about how they relate to this world and what's going to happen. Yeah, in, in the, the world, in the in the very final chapter, you get one cliffhanger, but it's not just that one cliffhanger that keeps you going. I think. <laughs> No, definitely. Yeah, I mean, this is definitely an interesting read and not what I expected. Um, actually, neither neither uh, this nor uh, Monogatari is what I expected, but uh, it definitely draws uh, inspiration from Greek mythology, most notably, most notably mm -hmm. the, the inspiration for many of the character names. Um, there's also Shakespearean or, or Shakespearean uh, influences <laughs> um, of uh, disguise going on with the whole dress up and, and hidden identity at the party. You know, Shakespeare would also often use that device to expose deeper character development in his comedies, uh, where a disguised character could listen in on others talking about them or hear things that they otherwise wouldn't have, uh, you know, had their identity been revealed. Um, I also got a very, like, young adult lit feel from it. Um, you know, Rubus is a teenager. She kind of reveals her innermost anxieties and you feel the weight of that social pet pressure and the ritualistic experiences, or, or the ritualistic expectations rather on her. Um, it's not what you would expect from the mysterious goddess that we only glimpse in the games. 
uh, starting with Dragon Quest Two. Um, oh, and uh, and and finally, <laughs> uh, at some point, it was reminiscent of a steamy romance novel. Uh, I was reading through last week and ended up uh, sending a couple of steamier clips to um, uh, to Platy, uh, if I have, yeah. if I may, if I may uh, quote. Um, uh, if you want to, <laughs> if you want to, if you want to see my face, then lick it away. You know, oh, like a, like a dog. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. What was that? You know that you look. Uh, uh, that you look like you desperately want to be kissed right now. What about you help me a little for once? Uh, she realized that up until that moment, she had her lips slightly opened and her full body leaning forward and her face suggesting that she had been indeed wanting a kiss. The afterthought made her blush visibly. So yeah, yeah it was getting a, a great moment. <laughs> it was getting, getting a little steamy at parts. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it was, those, uh, I think like three or four things that, uh, um, yeah, four, four things: the Greek mythology, Shakespeare, young adult lit, and then and then romance novel feel that I was getting from it at times. Um, well, so, yeah, you know what? That, that is a very smart observation. I bet your knowledge is almost as good as your button all. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, that was the other one. That was the other one I sent to you. <laughs> yes, it was. Uh, yeah, there's a the see her. Yeah. They're talking about Rubus, I think, and then you say, like, see, her knowledge is almost as good as her butt and all. You know, that's part of that kind of, like, Shakespearean comedy where, like, she wouldn't have heard that at all if she hadn't been, like, in disguise. <laughs> you, you know what? For a, for a work published in the early 90s, that was very wild. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm sure outside of a, a you know, outside of a, just a specific steamy romance novel literature section, yeah, just having that thrown into here. It, it makes it noticeable. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to see what comes in future volumes. Yeah, of course. It's interesting you brought up Shakespeare, uh, because you see, as far as the narrative structure of the novel is concerned, the novel itself follows um, a very classic three-act Japanese structure known as Jōhakyū. It means introduction, breaking point, and acceleration. It's very typical of Japanese traditional drama, which may have give you that idea. Uh, even plays and poetry have it. And the only short contrast uh, there is with the Western counterpart is uh, the latter consists of usually a structure of beginning, middle point, and ending, the classic uh, journey of the hero thing like. And it develops in clear steps rather than having its own, its own mood, its own rhythm constantly changing. So with the Rubis novel, you get you get to experience the side characters with ton of precious information to convey. Then you lift the page and you're suddenly in the shoes of the people who appear to be the villains of the story. And you say, what? And that's the acceleration, slow down, then accelerate once more kind of aspect of, I, I mentioned earlier. Awesome. All right. Do either of you have anything you'd like to add before we get into our uh, humorous little game here? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I actually, I, I know Alexi won't do it because it's, it's I, I can feel he's being hesitant to uh, bring it up. So I will do it. I will do it for him. Um, the, the, the main reason well, we began working on these projects is, and I feel we share the same mindset on this, is because of the Dragon Quest lore. Like, the original Dragon Quest lore, and by original I mean the one you get from the games, period. It's so interesting and yet so obscure at times. And it is obscure because a lot of the stuff, it's, it's actually explained in the side material. Like, 
spin-offs, novels, cross-promotion between games, uh, data books, compendiums like uh, the World Sketchbook for Dragon Quest IV or even the Shirarezaru Densetsu series, which means literally the untold legends, the, the manga series like The Emblem of Roto, which has some crazy reveals at the end I cannot talk about, unfortunately. And all this stuff that is mostly available in Japanese and gives you so much insight and world building aside from the basic information you get from the games. You know what? Uh, Alexi has a, a timeline, uh, a Dragon Quest timeline that is so extremely detailed. You can you can almost uh, have a, a, a literal a literal study of that of that timeline uh, brought up to. At the topic of the of one of the episodes of the future, the future episode of the, of the podcast. <laughs> I had a lot of time, uh, a lot of free time on my hand as a student, and uh, <laughs> yeah, I had to get some time. But yes, the um, the dragon. I've been like obsessed with timelines uh, a few time ago, uh, a few years ago. Mostly because I fell in, into the, the rabbit hole that was a Legend of Zelda timeline. And other things I, I wondered, does Dragon Quest have one? And then um, I, I remember in 2017, I think, or, or six, when, when Dragon Quest XI released in Japan, uh, I used to watch the um, like, uh, Let's Play in Japanese. And it reached um, a certain portion of the game. Uh, I think the end of Act Two. I think uh, when there's uh, I, I wouldn't want to spoil Dragon Quest Eleven uh, for those who haven't played it yet. <laughs> um, uh, a certain character does a certain action that has a big impact on the game. And when I saw that, I, I thought of this uh, kind of like the. Um, of, of eleven, kind of like the Ocarina of Time of Dragon Quest, and it opened uh, <laughs> a lot of possibly narrative possibilities to me, which I um, thoroughly and uh, yes, uh, I keep the door open, and I went, uh, hey, worst case scenario, Square Enix will one day make uh, like of a kind of um, you know the Hyrule Historia, well something similar mm-hmm. for Dragon Quest, which would be absolutely amazing. And, um, and yeah, and, and because we had in France this uh, emblem of Frotto manga that, at the time, most countries didn't have. I I, I think the Italian and Spanish translation uh, were released or started after the French one, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, I, I intended to keep, to capitalize on this um, on this new new law that was kind of unique. And what's absolutely amazing is that the emblem um, photo has like one sequel, um, the heirs of the crest of the of the emblem, which happens 20 year, 25 years after the end of emblem of photo. There's one side no, um, manga, uh, Dragon Quest emblem of photo uh, returns of something uh, returns, period. But there's um, a third big uh, manga in it, and it's the adaptation of Dragon Quest Seven. Which was made by the same creative team as the Emblem of Photo and Heirs uh, of the Emblem, and features characters from Emblem of Photo. And yeah, the 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 side materials have just so many uh, details and you know narrative connections that the game doesn't don't necessarily have. 
And so yeah, it, it was really fun to, to work on that. And I was certainly glad to, to start talking about that with uh, Hyru, uh, which, uh, which has some really interesting, who had a lot of interesting uh, take on it, mostly, but uh, we talked um, not too long ago about uh, Raptor, I think, from Dragon Quest VIII, and uh, how we, yeah, talked about lots of things. Uh, it's a uh, really refreshing and uh, liberating, in a way, <laughs> to be able to talk about the law in such a, in to such extent with someone. <laughs> yeah, sometimes he DMs me on Discord, and I can only imagine his voice being like, "Yo, have you seen the ending of the Emblem of Roto? That's <laughs> that's some deep stuff." <laughs> Awesome. Well, oh, segueing into more deep stuff, <laughs> Buddy, do you want to <laughs> kick off Married to Act Puff Puff? Oh, yes. The deepest of all conversations. We, we haven't done this in a few episodes. We've, uh, I think we've taken a little seriouser attempt, but uh, no, we're, we're definitely going to do this today because um, we've got a couple people here that are fun and have listened to the podcast before, and they know what most of you listeners know. We're going to play Mary Thwack Puff Puff. Basically, uh, <laughs> if you think back to when you were like 13, 14, 15 years old, um, maybe a little older, um, in high school, you'd probably play a game, you know, Mary, uh, Kill, Fuck, or whatever <laughs> nicer version of that you want to say. But, uh, you know, we, we take three people. And we've got a list of three from both stories um, that we can play with. And you pick who you're going to marry, who you're going to get a puff puff from, and who gets thwacked. Um, uh, although, as people have told us in the past, thwack is the group spell. But, you know, oh well. <laughs> Who's getting whacked? Who's getting thwacked? You know, we're, we're, we're taking liberties with the uh, spell casting cast, here. You could still cast thwack on, on a single character, though. Mm-hmm. That's true. These are some powerful characters here. Yes. So, you know, <laughs> that we're dealing with. I'm thinking so, of Liam... Kiro <laughs> with, his, with his multi-thwack. <laughs> Eventually one of them works. Um, so, yeah, our first Marathwack Puff Puff goes to Alexi. Um, so we chose uh, each of these based on the book that you translated. So here are three characters from Item Monogatari, uh, Sword of Kings. Uh, who would you marry? Who would you thwack? And who would you puff puff? The suggestions are uh, Elf Lady Ariel, uh, Rubus, and the Moon Goddess Minerva. Hmm. Well, I think I'm going to need the the superior version of of whack, twack, to twack uh, the moon goddess Minerva uh, <laughs> because she, she's nice, but she's not <laughs> as dev, uh, you know developed um, character wise as Ruby's. Uh, but also she, from what she does and says in the um, in, a, in the chapter, she's she's smarter than I, and that intimidates me a great deal. <laughs> <laughs> Good reason is any. <laughs> um, and because you mentioned that uh, Ruby's Hass might be, you know, as great as her intelligence or knowledge, I think I'll take a puff puff out of Ruby's. Uh, <laughs> because, quite frankly, an elf who knows a lot about um, forge, not, not forgery, um, forge and uh, smithing, stuff like that, hammering, that's just so rare that it needs to be not protected, but maybe married. Hey, good points. Mm. Yeah, that that is yeah. the, the, the smithing is definitely something. Uh, you know, when you read Dungeons and Dragons and 
with Tolkien and everything, that's more left to el, uh, more left to uh, the dwarves and stuff like that. You don't hear of the great elven blacksmith mm. very uh, often. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good question. Do you do you marry the goddess, uh, or do you marry the skilled blacks, uh, the skilled um, smith or forger? Mm. Well, I'll go next, just because I'm going to say I'm going to do the exact same three, but for yeah. all different kind of reasons. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna marry ariel because you know elves live a long time you know so as i get older she'll still be young and devoted to me and you know like can take care of me in my old age and like i'm still married to this hot elf um rubis there's probably a lot of baggage there from being like this goddess and everything you, you know th- th- you start messing with stuff way beyond your state in life um <laughs> you know you, you see what happens in all the greek stuff you know you, you, nobody's getting married to one of the gods or goddesses so we'll, we'll get the puff puff and uh be happy with that little bit um and minerva it, she seems to be a redhead no we're, we're just gonna thwack that right away <laughs> <laughs> i think that i think i would probably just uh thwack minerva by default um i would probably puff puff the elf and then marry rubis because i like the concept of actually you know if i'm hitting on my wife saying hey baby you're a goddess uh, and now it's actually true (laughs) (laughs) hero do you want part of this one too Is it that bad that I actually share the same logic as Liam? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is bad, but it's also acceptable. (laughs) (laughs) Liam, I was just looking at the hair color on uh, Rubus there and was getting some definitely Nera thoughts and thought that's where you were going to go with that one. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, it's more like a kind of bluish green. Mm -hmm. Mm. Which I think is the hair color she had in the original... Uh, NES version of Dragon Quest 3. Oh, oh, oh she, she changes hair color constantly. It's like oh, the yeah. Princess of Moonbrook. I don't really know what water color is. <laughs> the Dragon Quest Bible somewhere buried deep in <laughs> Dragon in uh, what is it? The homes of the producers and directors it hasn't come to a conclusion on that. I guess as long as she can turn into a dog, it's fine. Moonbrook's fine. Oh. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go the other way now. Um, we have no visual cues to help us here. Um, at least the th- most of us don't. But uh, Hiro, coming from your the novel that you translated, um, I chose Rubis again, of course, since mm-hmm. this is mainly her story. Um, her fiery cousin, Alina, okay. because she bursts on the scene right away. And then, you know, I, probably by default here there weren't a whole lot of female strong female characters but i figured i'd pick the wackiest of whack jobs um perla she's the head of the metal clan that makes the deal with the cursed shield so she can uh bear children she seemed like wacko i was thinking so hard about what the third character could be because (laughs) ruby and alina sounds like very obvious but like you said, there are there aren't many female characters in the story to begin with. So, yeah. So, I would say talk Perla immediately, like now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> then, yeah, I I think we go for Mary Rubis and Alina. Sounds like the puff puff type of person, probably. Yeah. Oh yeah, she comes off as the life of the party in that. 
Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and uh, I- I'll go exactly with you there. You know, this time I, I- Rubus isn't the almighty goddess at this point. She's just like maybe she's going to be head of her clan soon, or probably going to be head of her clan soon. So I'm good. At- I'm I'm good at marrying into that right now. Um, and yes, life of the party definitely sounds like a good uh, puff puff one. And uh, Perla, whoo, yeah, she, uh, even her own husband is like spying on her, and like the things he was thinking, like, oh my god, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. <laughs> and some of the thi- like the way he treats his children afterwards, and like the way she does compared to him, and yeah, they, they, there's some interesting stuff in that household. Awesome. Yeah, I, I would so, say yeah, definitely. Um, Thwack the cray cray perla. Uh, I would I would marry steamy romance Rubus, um, and and I would uh, I would puff puff uh, the fire fire spirit Alina um, because um, it would be interesting to have a puff puff where my face where where I I think the I think the the puff puff would be hot both literally and figuratively. <laughs> yeah, we we're kind of on the same page. I think yeah. <laughs> Actually, Alexi, coming away from the puff puff with with burn marks. <laughs> <laughs> Explain that to your wife, Rubus. <laughs> Sorry, I was just out seeing your cousin. <laughs> <laughs> Got to keep it in the family. <laughs> so, Lexi, do you have any uh, similar take or different take on those three? Uh, maybe different. I would for sure twack Pearl as well. Uh, however, I think I would marry uh, Alina because. Uh, both girls uh, do have some. I don't know. It it it, it changes. You know, it's um. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say rare, but it's uh. It's nice to change. And so yeah, I, for, for once I think I'm, I'd marry the the buff one. Uh, and well, I I think I would just buff buff rubies again. Although I, I would try not to to look too much of uh, the hate she had in the novel though. <laughs> uh, well, I'm glad. I'm glad we got a. We glad we got to play that again, and we had to play it twice. The, yeah, better. we got a. We got a deep literary discussion of Mary Thwack Puff Puff. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks both of you for being on here. This is this is great discussion. I I want to open it up for you guys. If you have anything else you want to talk about, these two um, here. Um, if you'd like to share how far you are into the next gigantic portion or anything else we'll give oh, you guys some right. time here I, I forgot to mention that I had to stop working on the novel for a while due to some much needed vacation time but oh, the sure. translation mm-hmm, the translation work on volume on volume 2 uh, which is titled Ramya the Wings of Fate get hyped <laughs> will begin in <laughs> mid-September and I hope I'll be able to release it by the end of the, of the of this year oh nice right yeah, we didn't even mention that Rami is in the story too. Mm-hmm. Oh, it, it plays a very important role as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually had a question for for Iru um, uh, because I've, I've, I won't say I've read, I've read, but I've um, w- looked at the pictures of the the seven because um, uh, Rubis Densetsu was adapted as a seven seven volume uh, manga. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I was just wondering how much of the, um, uh, how many man- volume of the manga would you say um, volume one of the 
well, <laughs> sorry, um, how many volumes of manga does the, um, the first volume of the novel represent as a whole? Oh, you mean how much it covers? Yes, yes, exactly. You know what? I don't really know because I haven't read the manga yet, but I... Oh, don't, don't, don't kill me for that, please. It's <laughs> <laughs> all right, it's all right. I'll just send you the files. I, I actually don't know, but I think the, the manga adaptation is not that long to begin with, and it should be the same story overall, just with some minor differences. Like, I know for sure there's one uh, side character that it's not present in the novels, and it's a pet dragon, Ruby says. Yep. I, I cannot remember its, its names. It, I, I really can't remember it, the name. Maybe it was just like Dragon. It was certainly interesting to see Rubis having a, a pet go talking pet uh, dragon, which was also a, a female, if I'm not um, oh. remembering correctly. Yes. <laughs> it's a talking golden dragon who talks. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, do either of you have any other questions for each other? Liam, you got anything else? No, I'm all set. I, I think we're fine. Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, then we'll wrap this up. That's it for this episode of Slime Time. We do want to, as always, thank our guests, Hiro and Alexi. Thanks for coming. Thanks thank so you much, for guys. Us. Thanks for us, yes. Thanks and so much, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for all you're doing to bring this to we got the we got the french translations we've got the english thank you for bringing these out to the dragon quest fans around the world you're welcome i'll pleasure <laughs> so those of you at home you might have noticed the only time we ever mention patreon on our podcast is we say we don't use patreon we're just two longtime fans that want to speak about the game series we know and love so much if you do have some money that you're just wanting to throw out donate whatever consider sliding out over to the dragon's den at www.wudis.com slash den click on support the site wudis has owned and maintained the dragon's den fan site for over 20 years i'm sure he'd appreciate any donation or you can use his brand new amazon affiliate link you can see it pretty much at the top of every page nowadays um it used to just be there'd be some items on the side that you could buy through affiliate links uh nowadays if you're going on Amazon to buy yourself a $2,000 refrigerator. You can click on that link and it still takes you to the same Amazon. And Wudis gets a little bit of the piece of the cut there. doesn't cost you anything. You're still paying the same price, but he gets a little bit to help with server costs and maintaining the den. Uh, to advertise with us, reach out to us at slimetimepodcast at gmail.com. If you have any comments or questions for us, you can find us on Twitter at Instagram uh, or Twitter and Instagram rather at DQ Slimetime. Ah, you should also consider in joining tons of Dragon Quest discussions at the Dragon's Den forums, one of the few remaining forums still around. You can find it on the Dragon's Den main page or go directly there at www.wudis.com slash forums. Um, I'm still there, less frequently, but um, you could also find us on the Discord server and the non-official yet kind of official, semi-official Dragon Quest Dragon's Den Discord server. Um, the link's always in our show notes here, and you too can be there with both of our translators. They're on there talking a lot about what they're doing and lots of other Dragon Quest stuff. And Liam, I just took your line. 
It's all good. It's all good. Go for it. So uh, we'd like to thank everyone that made all this podcasting possible, like Brian, a.k.a. Woodis, for the support of the series and this podcast and keeping the Dragon's Den's lights on for decades. Thanks to Amanda LaPree and the Descendants of Erdrick for allowing us to use their music for our podcast. Descendants of Erdrick is a video game tribute band from Austin, Texas. Check them out in their most recent album, Advent, at www.descendantsofurdrick.com or on Twitter at Diaverdrick and check out Amanda LaPree streaming on Twitch. Our thanks, as always, to Dwayne Bullock, our wonderful graphic artist, uh, Dragon Quest fan, for making the awesome artwork cover for this podcast. Dwayne was on the original iteration of Slime Time many years ago, and he's been on many of our episodes. As always, you can check out more of his work at Dwayne Art on Instagram or find his website, DwayneBullockArt.BigGartel.com. And if you're looking for more Dragon Quest Slime Time, check out our earlier episodes on Dragon's Den, Anchor FM, iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, and more. Bye, everyone. Bye. Dragon, Dragon Quest Slime Time, sliming off.